before you sit, let me just say welcome to our new teaching series called Alive and Free, Killing the Things That Are Killing You. That language is intense. It's actually intense on purpose. We stole it from Jesus in John 10, 10. Here it is. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. You have a very real enemy who is trying to steal and kill and destroy everything about your life. Jesus says though, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full, amen? Eugene Peterson paraphrases that same verse this way in the message version. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they might have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. For this first week, this is sort of a broad series, Alive and Free, but every single week's gonna be very specific. Today we're talking about addiction. Something that in some way and to some degree, I believe is now quietly killing every single one of us. I wanna read to you a quote from a book called Dopamine Nation by author and Stanford psychiatry professor Anna Lemke. She says this, we have transformed the world from a place of scarcity to a place of overwhelming abundance. Drugs, food, news, gambling, shopping, gaming, texting, sexting, Facebooking, Instagramming, YouTubing, tweeting, the increased numbers and variety and potency of highly rewarding stimuli today is staggering. The smartphone is the modern day hypodermic needle delivering digital dopamine 24 seven for a wired generation. As such, we have all become vulnerable to compulsive overconsumption. In other words, this sort of conversation is no longer for those people. In 2023, those people are all people. And this message is called drug of choice. Drug of choice. So Holy Spirit, we love you so much. And right now we, we barricade against any shame or condemnation in Jesus' name. The only spirit allowed in this moment is the Holy Spirit. And we invite grace and conviction in Jesus' name, say, Father, we trust you. Your will be done. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Once again, scoot in. If you have any seats, please scoot in. Make some more room for those who are trickling in. And then take a seat. And finish this sentence for me. No pain. No pain. Let's try it one more time. No pain. No gain, there we go. I learned a, a few things in the last few years. Here's just one thing, I'll give it to you right now. I learned that women have a higher pain tolerance than men. So ladies, congratulations, you win, you win. And guys, you wanna know how I know that is because women have to give birth. I've now witnessed that twice, I'm seeing a counselor. And all I know is I'm just so glad that I'm a dude because I'm just not trying to like ever do that. <laughs> True story, my, my good friend Whitney with a straight face a few years ago, she, she looked at me and she, said, she asked me this question. She said, aren't you just like so heartbroken and devastated? You'll never know the feeling or the miracle of carrying and birthing another human being. And I said, I have never thought that. And I promise you, I will never think that. <laughs> you say no pain, no gain. I say no pain. No pain, all right? Why the pain? I'll be, I'll be cooking up some Paw Patrol mac and cheese and I will burn my finger on the steam, which kills, by the way. 
and I will immediately drive to Dairy Queen, get a blizzard, because it ices my wound and it cheers me up. Just no thank you to all the pain. And yet I've watched my wife bring two humans into the world and then smile right after. Our second born, Kinsley, she, uh, she was born 12 minutes after we got to the hospital. It was one in the morning in a storm, like a scene out of a movie. I ran two red lights. I ran three stop signs thinking Kinsley was going to be born in the backseat of my Chevy Cruze. It was like one of those moments where you're like, man, I hope a police officer tries to pull me over right now. Just try, officer. Escort me to the hospital, please. We're about to have a human in this car. We made it to the hospital with minutes to spare. And my beautiful, amazing, kind, sweet wife says two words. Epidural, now. (laughs) Epidural, now. And what follows, I promise you, is a direct quote from the doctor who looked at her, smiled, and said, oh, sweetie, you're about two hours too late for that. (laughs) But you've got this. You can do this. And she did it because my wife's a beast. But it is interesting, as human beings, if given the option, we will do anything to avoid pain, even though, ask any mom, pain leads to gain. Better yet, you don't even have to ask any mom. Just ask anybody who's ever done hot yoga. No pain, no gain. When we moved to Austin five years ago, it was July 1st when we got here in 2018, and I I thought, you know what? I'm gonna acclimate to the heat and fast forward. So I got a week-long free trial membership at Core Power Yoga to do hot yoga. And if you're in here and, and you're like, yoga's demonic, just real talk for a second, it can be, a lot of things can be, if you open yourself up to the demonic, which is way more real than I think we know. However, yoga can also just be stretching. And hot yoga is stretching in a room that is hotter than the sun, okay? I thought it would be easy. I walked in, I'm like, I like the heat. I'm kind of weird like that. Um, I like to exercise. I walk in, they hand me eight pound purple dumbbells. I'm like, eight purple? Not to brag, I lift dark gray 15s at my gym, all right? How hard can this be? Turns out very, it's very hard. Turns out for an hour, you just want to die. And by about the 20th down dog, I'm thinking I will do anything to get the heck out of this room, away from the heat, away from the pressure, and away from the pain. So why then did I keep going back? Because even though it was painful, for the rest of the day, I felt incredible. I'm telling you, I haven't felt that physically good since I was nine. (laughs) Like, I can touch my toes. I really can. Ethan can't do that. The proof is in the plasticity. The pain is, is a moment, is for a moment, and then the payoff you feel for the rest of the day. Say it with me, no pain, no gain. And it's for that exact reason. Good habits, by the way, are so difficult and challenging to start because the pain is now, and the payoff is not until later. For instance, if you wanna start a good habit, you wanna get in shape, and let's say you wanna start running in the morning. So you buy some new running shoes, you set your alarm, but then the alarm goes off at 5.30 in the morning, and it's so dark out, and you're so tired. It's so cold outside, and my, my bed's so warm, and jogging or yogging, I don't know, it might be a soft J, I'm not really sure, is like miserable at first. In fact, Proverbs says only a fool runs when no one is chasing him. That's scripture, all right? 
and you're sore for like the first month, you get home from the first run and you look in the mirror, you see absolutely no difference because the pain is now and the payoff is not until later. And that's why good habits are so difficult to begin. And it's also why bad habits are so hard to stop. Because bad habits are good habits in reverse. The payoff is now. And the pain comes much later. And therein lies the beginning of addiction. That all of us live with pain. And we now have an abundance of options for drugs of choice to medicate said pain. Whether it's a beer bottle or abusing a a tiny orange pill bottle whether it's TikTok or or Netflix or shopping or pornography or status or success or food or sex or relationships or video games, we now have endless options to numb, medicate, and distract. Some of them are, are more socially acceptable in nature. Some are more taboo in nature. Some are more harmful in nature. Some drugs of choice are neutral in nature. I'm not just preaching a message up here about whiskey and heroin. You can be shopping but medicating. You can be working and yet escaping. Status and success in the, in, in the good old US of A in 2023 can be addictions you get praised and applauded for. Like we all medicate because life is kind of like a hot yoga room. It's full of pressure and it heats up and there's pain and give me the option to escape it, and nine times out of 10, I'm probably gonna take it. So the question, you guys, is not, what is your drug of choice, Christian? Let's deal with it. That's not the question. The question is, what is your drug of choice hiding from you? God's way more interested in that. What's your drug of choice hiding from you? Because it's almost like all of us are running away from something. There's a reason it's hard to even cook dinner in your kitchen without the TV on in the background. It's hard to drive in your car by yourself or work out without a podcast to distract you. It's almost impossible to be in line at the grocery store without your phone to scroll on. Chronic compulsive overconsumption because we're just not cozy in our own reality without it. So we escape and we use control, perfectionism, Fantasy, sexual fantasy, revenge fantasy, Walter Mitty syndrome, when you only live out your life online or all up in your mind because reality is something less than your expectations. And out here, you're, you're passive or timid, but up here, you are a rock star and a hero. Fantasy can medicate the pain of disappointment. Ambition can medicate the pain of insecurity. Church can medicate the pain of guilt and regret. Food can medicate the pain of discomfort. Sex can medicate the pain of loneliness. Gossip and resentment can medicate the pain of an unforgiven offense. This is the human experience. And just like taking ibuprofen for a headache, our drugs, our medications work until they wear off. They work and then they wear off. They work and then they wear off. They give you temporary relief from the pain and the shame and the secrets and the scars and the wounds and the trauma and the memories and the insecurities. And I used to think addiction was like for bad people, but but that's just not true at all. I think every one of us to some extent and in some way is just experiencing a certain amount of pain and pressure and we all just want some relief. 
We all just want some relief, some way of escaping, some way of, of medicating. And, and for good reason, every behavior in every one of our lives has a really good backstory. Lemke says this again, we're all running from pain. Some of us take pills. Some of us couch surf while binge watching Netflix. Some of us read romance novels. We'll do almost anything to distract ourselves from ourselves. Yet all this trying to insulate ourselves from pain seems only to have made our pain worse. This is not some religious sermon about, come on church, let's see more trying and less medicating out of you guys. This is, this is a message about an amazing and loving God who is way more interested in healing the wounds that are causing you to medicate in the first place. What is your drug of choice hiding from you? Because until you choose to face it and feel it, it's only then that God begins to heal it. What is your drug of choice hiding from you? Because once again, it's not until we choose to face it and feel it that God begins to heal it. Because Jesus promised us in John 10, 10, he promised us access to an abundant life. What I'm saying is abundant life requires a fighter spirit. Freedom ain't for the faint of heart. Because there's a thief that wants to steal from you and kill you and destroy you. But you're a child of God. And grace, the amazing grace of our God, that grace is kind of like a mama bear. And it gets violent when it has to be against things that mess with its kids. When it comes to addiction or anxiety or despair or distraction or depression or confusion or comparison or isolation or you fill in the blank, grace can be violent when it has to be. And that's what this series is all about is, is utilizing the weapons of grace to go to bat and kill the things that are, that are killing the life that is rightfully yours by the blood of Jesus. It's time to live alive and free. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. And it is the, the night before his crucifixion. And he knows his resurrection, man, is just days away, but he knows there is pain before the payoff. We read this, verses 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, and bear in mind, Jesus doesn't exaggerate. Exaggeration is some form of lying in a way. Jesus doesn't do that. So what he's about to say, take it to heart. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So guys, stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little bit farther, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, it's a key word. If it is possible, may this cup, another key word, be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. So quick pause, think of just the humanity of this moment. This is the son of God. Even Jesus was tempted to escape the pressure because Jesus is fully God, but make no mistake about it, he's also fully man, that truly he is the high priest, like Hebrews 4 tells us, who can empathize, not just sympathize, but empathize with your pain. Then he returned to his disciples, he found them sleeping. Man, couldn't you guys just keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. 
which I'm thinking, like, even if I'm tired, like Taylor, my brother-in-law, if he came to me and he said, hey, dude, my soul is over, so overwhelmed, I feel like I'm gonna die right now. Can you stay awake with me? I think I can manage that. These guys fall asleep on him. You guys couldn't keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, are you guys still sleeping and resting? Because look, the hours come and I'm about to be delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Gethsemane, just so you know, means oil press. So the garden that he was in that night is literally the place of pressure. Think a hot yoga room times a thousand. The place of, of pain, the place of forging, the place of, of pressure. And Jesus prays three different times. He says, Father, if there is any other way we could go about saving humanity, that could be really convenient right now. And don't misunderstand this, Jesus is not afraid to die, you guys. I think a lot of us believe Jesus was afraid to die. When Jesus says, this cup that I'm about to drink, you have to understand that that, that was not just about crucifixion. That cup was not just about nine inch nails through his wrist and slow suffocation. That was the easy part. That cup was the weight of all sin. You know the weight of your sin. Imagine the weight of all sin on his shoulders in one moment. That cup was the, the wrath due that sin from a holy and just God. That wrath was the, the literal reality of hell and the, the absence of the literal presence of God. Jesus knows I am hours away from being forsaken by the presence of God as I am crushed for their iniquities and I pay the, the wages of sin and death once and for all. That is why his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And then he, he prays, maybe the bravest prayer there is to pray. He says, Father, not my will, but yours be done. That word Father in the Aramaic is Abba. It's a deeply intimate way of saying Father, Dad. It, it has a, a connotation of trust attached to it. Jesus going, I am, I am limiting myself to my humanity in this moment. And Father, I can't really see from your vantage point this whole John 3.16 thing, that we so love the world, that this is the plan, that I'm about to be crucified and then resurrected, all I see right now is from the vantage point of a human being in the garden, the crucifixion is tomorrow, the cup I have to drink, and he says, Father, I trust that you see what I don't. And basically what he says, I know I wanna get out of here, but deep down what I want more God, I want what you ultimately want more than I want now. I wonder if there's anybody daring enough to pray that prayer in your life this week. God, for my life, I want what you want ultimately more than what I want this week. He's fully human, 
But man, that is not what humans in pain normally do, is it? There's a scene in a new Netflix series called Painkiller, which highlights the moments leading up to the opioid epidemic and how they could have and should have been stopped. And Richard Sackler of Purdue Pharma gives an eerie and evil and brilliant monologue in a meeting where he convinces the board they should create the painkiller called OxyContin. And he unnervingly, yet so accurately, describes the human condition. He says, all of human behavior is comprised of two things, running away from pain, running towards pleasure. Away from pain and towards pleasure. He says it's a cycle, away from pain and towards pleasure. Pain to pleasure, pain to pleasure. And he said, if we can sort of position ourselves in between the two, then we become the gateway away from pain and towards pleasure. And since that, since that moment, hundreds of thousands of human beings have overdosed in just over two decades. We honor them today. We miss them every day. But man, I just thought, how real is that? away from pain, get me out of pain. I'll do anything to not feel discomfort. I'll do anything to, to numb my wounds, numbing the symptoms with our drug of choice but never really healing what's really going on deep down. Anna Lemke says this again, but there is a cost to medicating away every type of human suffering. And as we shall see, there's an alternative path that might just work better embracing pain. In other words, our obsession, you guys, our obsession as a nation with avoiding unhappiness at all costs might just be the reason for our unhappiness. Because as long as you're numbing, God's not healing. As long as you're numbing, God's not healing. I'm telling you, there's one thing standing in between who you are today and the version of you in the future that is more free and more healed, tapping into more of this abundant life that is rightfully yours in Christ Jesus, and it is some version of processing pain. And if given the option, we will, we will opt out almost every time. Jesus wanted out, and yet Jesus somehow stayed in the fight, did he not? Jesus wanted to escape, and yet Jesus embraced the pain. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the payoff of tomorrow, he felt the pain of today. He drank the cup and he took on death. And what followed was exponential life. What do I mean by that? One man's crucifixion led to everybody's resurrection. That's how math works in the kingdom of heaven. That God's pain equals our gain. He went from his garden straight to the grave. He went from the garden to the grave. The garden became a grave so that he could usher in a new era 2,000 years ago. We now live in a day and age where dead messiahs walk out of their tombs. He went from his garden to his grave so that the rest of forever, graves now become gardens. 
That's what it means to be a child of God. You are children of the promise, Red Rocks. What does it mean to be children of the promise? It means everything heals if you're willing to feel. Everything heals if you're willing to feel. And I know messages like this, especially in this moment, can feel so heavy. Let me explain to you what you're feeling. Because it's not God from a sermon putting something heavy onto you. That's not what's happening right now. In fact, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus even says, I'll never lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. I wanna take that off of you. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I'll show you how to take a real rest. That's what Jesus is offering to you right now, but it's moments like this, we bring stuff up. What it does is it, it illuminates and exposes a heaviness in you that's already been there. It's always been there. That's the pain. That's the thing that you've just been medicating with your drug of choice. In moments like this, it feels like, is God putting something heavy on me? No, he's exposing something heavy in you that he wants out of there. And the heavier that is, the lighter you'll be on the other side of feeling the pain of today for the payoff of tomorrow. Until you're willing to feel it, God can't begin to heal it. In 2009, my head and my neck started hurting and uh, they really haven't stopped since. And I have seen about 50 doctors and I have been prescribed every possible medication you could imagine. The one that just happened to work better than anything else was Vicodin. And on nights when I would have like splitting migraines, so many of these nights where, man, I just would be on the living room floor, just like pulling my hair as hard as I could, trying to breathe, trying just to survive and get through it because for hours it's like there is no escape from this. There's nothing you can do. And it's those moments where, where ibuprofen and Tylenol might as well be Tic Tacs. And the only thing that just kind of sort of touches it is Vicodin. So this one thing that just kind of worked more than anything else, also just happened to start being my vice. And I always wrestled with God about that, almost feeling like the, the prayer the Apostle Paul prayed about this thorn, why won't you take it? I'm like, God, why won't you, you heal this yet? And, and he is now, that's another story for another day. But going, man, God, this, this only thing that works happens to also just be my vice. And for eight years, you guys, I kept it at an arm's distance and I'm so grateful that I did. We moved to Austin five years ago and I have kept my doctor in Denver so that I can only pick up these prescriptions in Colorado and on purpose never, never transferred it to the state of Texas. Just trying to like, I, like I know myself, just trying to set up guards and protect myself. However, um, about every three weeks, I fly to our Red Rocks Church Denver locations to preach there and I love preaching with all my heart. Um, I also would feel pressure. It's like, it's like tens of thousands of people and feeling just the weight of like, man, whew, everybody's showing up because they, they're hurting. Everybody needs me to crush it. And uh, you know the only difference between all people and church people? All people struggle. Church people isolate in their struggle. 
we feel like we have to. And preachers like me do no favors when we only talk about struggles from like 15 years ago because we've kind of created this sort of paradigm where I have to be wearing a little bit of a cape for y'all. So in the spirit of courage and authenticity, here goes. Here, here was my pattern. Fly out the night before, check into my hotel, stay up all night prepping and memorizing and praying because deep down, somewhere deep inside of me, I just believed I am only as good or as useful to everybody as my next sermon. Stay up all night, maybe get one hour of sleep, wake up after an hour, caffeinate like crazy, show up to the church and, I mean, loving so much of it. Like I would show up just ready to go and I, I would walk up onto the stage at Littleton and I would just preach my heart out, man. Preach my heart out. And so many memories of then saying amen, walking off the stage thinking, okay, crush that, we're good. I crush that. We're good. Say bye to all my friends. Hop in my rental car. Drive to the Target parking lot across the street. Walk into the pharmacy. Pick up a prescription of Vicodin. Get back into my rental car. Start driving to Denver International Airport. And on my way, like clockwork, here comes the headache. And here comes the migraine because I stayed up so late and hardly slept the night before. And the doctors gave me permission. This is exactly what the doctor ordered. So I feel justified to get to the airport, grab some dinner, take two pills, board the plane, and breathe out. And I would think, I'm good for three more weeks. They think I know what I'm doing for three more weeks. And if you've been there, you know substances like that, along with so many other drugs of choice, they really help you medicate um, your lack of control over life. Like I can't control my kid's future. I can't control our country's future. I can't control our church's future. I can't control, you know, mean DMs people send to me. I can't control interest rates or what our house will be worth by this time next year. But for the next four to six hours, I can control how I feel. That was years, man. And, and in January of this year, we did a series called The Future You. And the point of it was, can you sort of project into the future to see who the future you is going to be because here's the thing about the future you, he or she is not gonna be a mystery. It's gonna make complete sense. You in the future will simply be the sum total of the prayers you prayed, the thoughts you thought, and the decisions you made. And so I took an honest projection and I said, me 10 years from now, who will I be if I keep up this pattern? Because I know myself, like I, I'm bad at a lot of things but not self-awareness, I probably have too much student of myself, and um, I thought, man, I actually, I don't think I will ever fall down a slippery slope into full-blown addiction with this stuff, although I know everybody who does that says that, but I just know me, and I've known my pattern for years, but I thought, here's what I am in danger of. I will just hang out right on the edge for a decade with this quiet little pattern like a weird pet that is quietly killing me. Slowly, 
Maybe not even like killing me, but killing everything that God is trying to take me into. The thief comes to steal from you, slowly kill you, slowly try to destroy what God has for you. And I, I, I realized two things. I said, who I am 10 years from now will make complete sense and I'm not gonna like it. Six months ago on March 6th, I finished preaching at Littleton and I drove across the street and parked in the parking lot and something happened. The flesh is weak. I've tried so many times to do this out of my own strength but the spirit is willing and eager and ready for all things in God and call it supernatural strength or supernatural release, like his power really is made perfect in our weakness when we fully surrender to him. But I felt, man, in the deepest places and spaces of my very being in my soul, God the Father impressed this onto my heart. And God the Father, he always call, he calls me buddy. That's why I call Will, my five-year-old buddy. Um, he says, hey, buddy, you can go in there. It's a prescription. You can go in there, get it, and I'll still be here, and I'll still love you. But this is where the divine dare from God comes into play. And I wonder if there's anybody daring enough to pray that prayer. God ruined my vice for me, not my will, not what I want now, but what you want most? He said, but I dare you. Stay in your car, drive to the airport, board your plane, and feel everything that you've been running from, everything that you've been numbing. And so I did, and that was six months and six days ago and I have not gone back and I never plan to. I have not gone back and I never plan to. And I'll tell you why. Maybe just one of the reasons why is because the last six months have been so challenging, man. <laughs> like so difficult. Feeling just like half capacity and like, oh. They, you know what they don't tell you is, uh, is freedom is hard. One of the coolest things I ever got to do was years ago, uh, raft the Nile River with Ryan and Ethan. And um, the same thing as hot yoga. I'm like, how hard can this be? Baby, baby Moses did it in a basket. Like how, <laughs> turns out it's very hard. Especially when it's class five rapids and the instructor met with us at the start and said, this, this will be challenging. Your raft will flip about 10 to 20 times. The rapids will pull you under. It will feel like an eternity that you're being held under. You will go over a 15-foot waterfall. So expect it. And all of those things happen, but we expected it and we were ready for it. Not that we'll ever pick bones with God one day when we're in heaven. I don't think that's gonna be a thing. But if I, if I had his attention right now, one thing I would ask him is for the Israelites in the Old Testament, you led them out of bondage through the Red Sea to Mariah Carey singing There Can Be Miracles the entire way through and they walk into freedom and then the credits roll when in reality they walk into freedom and now it's 40 years of battles and now it's 40 years of fights. Freedom is kind of like class five rapids. You will go over waterfalls. Your raft will flip. You will feel like you're being held under. There will be pain. 
But something is being forged in the deepest places and spaces of who you are. There's pain that is finally being processed and felt. You're finally facing something and feeling something. And what you're feeling and experiencing is God healing the something that you're feeling. And it's worth every single time you decide to feel instead of numb. Every single time. It's been challenging, but I am more alive and more free today than I have been in a long, long time. And I'm just not afraid to be human in front of you. And I'm not afraid to be broken in front of you. I've never been trying to wear a cape here. We value authenticity at this church. Leaders go first. And so I just go, God, for every one person who might say something religious and mean, and it's so funny how those two words seem to go together so often, uh, 500 of of everybody else is gonna walk out of here a little less isolated, a little bit more alive, and a little bit more free, thinking, I'm not alone. You're not alone. The human experience is hard. It's challenging. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart today. Your God has overcome the world. And what he promises you is access to the abundant life, but that takes a fighter spirit. New levels of freedom, new levels of vitality, regardless of external circumstance, requires a fighter spirit. So I'm not afraid to say this to you because I also, I, I, I am so confident every person in here, in some way, you get this. I promise you, I know that about every single person in here. Andrew Huberman, um, this is kind of haunting, but it's so sobering, pun intended. Um, He says, addiction is sort of the progressive narrowing of things that bring you joy. It's the progressive narrowing of things that bring you joy until only one thing brings you joy. And then eventually that one thing that brought you joy can't bring you joy anymore. Now it only keeps you from feeling pain. So I guess the opposite, the flip side of the addicted life is the abundant life, which might as well be the gradual expanding of things that bring you joy. Life and life to the full. Because here's the thing, this is what I know about your drug. It almost works. And it's really, really hard to stop doing things that almost work. This, whatever it is for you, it gets you right up to the glass where you can see yourself alive and free. But you aren't. So close, but so far. And God has so much more for you than that. Like this is not one of those, you need to repent, guys. Stop being addicted because God hates addiction. Hey, even if that were true, it's not helpful. The gospel is helpful. Does God hate addiction? Yes. Does God hate addicts? No. That's why he'll call you, he'll call you righteous while we all still sin. And he'll call you free while you're still stuck. Because your vice is not who you are. It is not your identity. Who you are is a child of the living God. That is your real identity. You are a child of God, alive and free by the blood of Jesus. Now you're just simply learning to live like you actually believe it's true. This is no small gospel, Red Rocks, and there is more hope for you than I think you know. Right now, you might have a serious substance addiction. You might be on your way to one. If you follow this QR code right behind it, we have a plethora of addiction and counseling resources that'll be very, very helpful. Um, 
If you stay where you're at, just know God's not going anywhere. He loves you so much and that will never change. But I do believe there's the heart of your father that you can trust who is daring you. Saying, I'm your father, you can trust me. The pain will be now. Ask anybody who's been to rehab, is painful, but also ask them what it leads to. They used to be an addict. He's going, I wanna show you what's really on the other side of this glass because you've got such a powerful testimony in the making, but that's just it. It's not finished yet. It's in the making. Let me show you. Let me, let me take everything heavy off of you. If you're willing to feel it, then I can start healing it. So maybe it's that, maybe it's your phone. You know, 40%, 47% of Americans admit they're addicted to their, sm their smartphones. So I guess like 35% of Americans are delusional and kidding themselves. That's another message for another day, it's coming. Maybe it's pornography, maybe it's video games. Maybe your opinions are your drugs. I feel like opinions are a new drug. Maybe you were hurt by somebody and the buzz of bitterness has been your medication. But much like Vicodin, resentment is creating the wrong neural pathways in your brain. And it's making you more and more angry as the years go by, more and more grumpy as the years go by, more and more easy to offend as the years go by. And what you need to do is forgive it and release it and feel it so God can actually begin to heal it. Because there's new levels of abundant life and freedom that are waiting for you. You need to kill the things that are killing you. You need to stay in the fight because as crazy as it sounds, guys, for me, Vicodin was not my problem it was my medication alcohol is not your problem it's your medication the problem is the pain the trauma the memory the unforgiveness the insecurity the thing God wants to heal I guess what he's trying to say if you hear anything hear this enough with the band-aids red rocks God wants to do some surgery on you the only question is are you willing to pray that prayer father not your will not my will, but your will be done. Translation, I'll hop on the operating table. Until you decide to feel it, God can't begin to heal it. I'll finish with this. I read a book about freedom by a guy named Dave, who for about a decade of his life was drowning in a pornography addiction. Until he finally came to a place where push comes to shove and had a... a, a rude awakening where he realized this is absolutely destroying my brain and it's about to destroy my marriage and it's robbing everything that God has for me away from me and I need to, and he went into white knuckle mode and willpower mode and willpower is great. It's a beautiful gift from God. It's just not gonna be your, your final solution when it comes to this stuff because for 12 months, Dave said, man, I just battled and I just battled and I white knuckled it and, and I, I made it a month and then two months and then three months and then six months and then 12 months and he said 12 months into being sober from pornography, he was on a cruise in Alaska with his family and he tells the story of walking around on the deck of the ship one night under the, sky, the stars in Alaska, looking up to the heavens and thinking, I just made it 12 months sober, but I don't feel free. Because I know if I let up just this much, I'm back. And is that the freedom Jesus was talking about? Is that the good news of Christianity, that this is just hyper behavior modification for the best of us? Or is there something better? 
to something deeper that's available. Because whatever this is for you, I mean, how true is it? You can battle and you can battle. And I'm not saying that's not wise. I think battling, that's noble. That's part of of this whole thing. It's a fighter's spirit. And once again, God's going, hey, be still because I'll fight for you. And at the same time, put your gloves on because you're going to battle. Both those things true at the same time. But how true is it that you can just make this a human effort and go, I'll fight this, I'll fight this, I'll fight this, I'll fight this, and you'll make it 12 months and you don't feel free because you're sober, but you're a sober slave because you've been facing this and focused on this the entire time. This is still your vantage point. Is that the good news of the gospel? That if you white knuckle for the rest of your life, you can kind of like be free even though you don't really feel free? Truly what C.S. Lewis said, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is being offered to us over here if we will simply turn around. The beauty of the word repentance in the Greek, the word metanoia, the depths of that word at its root mean to turn from what the world is offering you that by the way is not working and run towards the beauty of God and the good plans that he has for you. Galatians 5.1 says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Freedom's in there twice. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He set us free from something to something. He set us free from something because he's setting us free to something better. And the thought I wanna leave you with today is this, freedom feels like freedom. Because I just don't believe God wants you to live in a reality you constantly wanna escape from and just try really hard to not medicate. I think he wants to heal. I think he wants to do some transformation and some surgery. You start finding yourself getting to the place where you're more cozy in your reality. Even regardless of season or difficult circumstance, you're like, I don't wanna run from this though. In this world, you'll have trouble, but I'm, I'm more and more whole and I'm more and more healed. And then you find yourself, you go, man, I'm, I'm going shopping now, but it's not medicating how it used to be medicating and numbing something. And now I actually just enjoy it. I, I can pursue success now, but it's not because I'm trying to fill a void or medicate the pain of insecurity that my father left with me years ago. It's now something's been healed and now I'm doing it not for something, but from something. I'm a kingdom builder who's offering my strength to the world and I'm part of a bigger story than myself and building something bigger than me. People and sex and food and life You start to now enjoy them as gifts because you're no longer using them as drugs. I believe God wants to do some healing. Will you guys stand up? I think we're getting more and more numb as a culture. And I've had a few moments in the past few months, especially where I'm like, I am feeling things on a level I haven't in forever, man. I was like 
about a month ago on a flight home from Denver once again, but I had Parent Trap downloaded to my iPad and I was sitting in seat 7A watching Parent Trap just bawling the entire movie thinking, Dennis Quaid, he's such a good dad and he just loves his little girl so much. Why am I crying? And the guy right next to me in 7B, I'm like, what is this guy thinking of me right now? But I'm feeling. <laughs> Had a moment about a month ago, I was doing push-ups on the carpet and Kinsley was on my back. And I just paused for a second and I realized I can like feel the carpet under my hand. <sighs> Don't miss that. Because you're running. Don't numb. Yes, there's lows to experience. Yes, there's crucifixions, but what follows every crucifixion? Resurrection. And I'm telling you, the goodness of the resurrection is so much more than the badness of the crucifixion. Are you willing to step into the pain of today and feel it and process it and embrace it for the joy set before you? You're a child of God, children of the promise. What's the promise? Everything heals if you're willing to feel. So Holy Spirit, we love you. And there's a miracle in each one of us right now. Let that be our testimony. So we just pray right now, the bravest prayer there is to pray. More than what we want for ourselves today and in this moment, we ask that you would do what you want most for us right now in this moment. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.